Hey, welcome back to season one wrap up of E-Crime Bites. We're going to go ahead and get right back into it where we left off. Um, I thought it'd be fun, Keith, to kind of run through briefly some of the more amusing quotes from our criminal activity or that made it into the court documents we read. So keeping in mind that a judge or some lawyers had to read some of this shit, which I found to me, or just kind of disclosing how ridiculously silly some of these um, criminals are. As an example, we have, uh, I believe this is from, shoot, I wanna say this is one of our earlier episodes where um, this was, I think, violence is a crime, where in a chat, and this is in, in the court documents, it says, quote, why did they shoot her house? And the user responded, because they got played well. And the other person says, it's you, N-word, Pat. And he's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's like the dude just admitted to a crime on a chat, which clearly is going to be collected as evidence. And there it was. I thought that was very interesting. Um, from episode seven, this is the swatting payback in Maryland, where one attacker thinks another, quote, snaked him. Uh, I thought this was really, really amusing. Uh, where did he say? Uh, the defendant begins threatening uh, one of the other crime criminals there named Millicent. Um, unless Millicent shared in the proceeds of the crime, the defendant writes, you are capping my N-word and stop trying to play me my N-word. And one of the defendant's other accomplices immediately followed up saying, um, yeah, I'm going to burn your house down and shred it to its core when I get info on you. I'm going to ruin your life just like I did to someone else. Basically, their threats are a combination of ruining their house but also um posting shit online from them it's just a very like disparate set of threats right burning your house down and posting negative things about you online which i guess is reality but i just found that interesting and amusing but keith you're gonna take the winner here because oh getting God. into episode 10 and dr ill i mean what he actually specifically referenced uh multiple times was just my it was the best part of the season all right, so we've alluded to this so many times. So Dr. Shitbag, Dr. Ronald Shitbag Ilg has very specific tastes of what he wanted done to his ex-wife. And all right, so let me give you a little setup here. So basically, Dr. Ilg at this point has placed about $2,000-ish in Bitcoin, which is cryptocurrency, into an escrow account. And this is, that's why we're cracking jokes about sex escrow. Or someone on the dark net web to physically assault victim one by breaking her hands. Now, victim one was the doctor he worked with that he thought turned him in for something that I'm kind of reading between the lines that sounded like maybe he crossed lines sexually. Again, that was just my speculation, but that's kind of what it sounded like. He got turned in. There was some investigation. I think he left his practice or had to leave his practice. He had salty feelings towards his doctor, and this is what he wanted done. He said, as his pseudonym, Scar215, because he really liked lions, he said, the target should be given a significant beating that is obvious. Fuck, man, I don't know what a beating, a non-obvious beating is, but Jesus he continues to say it should injure both hands significantly or break the hands. I tried to attach a pick, but it wouldn't load. Which means he actually had an image in his mind of what broken hands should look like, which is kind of dark. Yeah. All right. So then we talked about 
his he, he that was the co-worker or the former worker that he used right. to work with that he wanted to do damage to he then had his ex-wife and this is where shit got really crazy because what he wanted was for this hitman to kidnap his ex-wife hold her hostage drug her not stop there teach her how to drug herself and then get her to release Dr. Ilg of all these charges that she has against him. Once that happens, has to have sex with him. And there's the sex escrow. I basically pretend everything goes back to normal. Okay. So I'm going to read you what he said about this. And this is, and I'll tell you this, this case is really interesting. You really need to go listen to this, this case because there was more than just a snippet. There's so much more than just a snippet. But he says, to earn the additional associated bonus within two weeks of the target being his ex-wife, the target being released, she will have completed this specific goal. Goal number one, permanently withdraw all court motions that all mediated agreements. Bonus, 10K, meaning $10,000. Number two, return to your husband by asking to move back home and fucking him at least three times within the two week time frame, That bonus was 10 K. His number three was tell her to keep her mouth shut and tell no one ever about the kidnapping. That bonus was 10 K. God, I guess was it an option that she could tell people, Seth? Jesus. All right. Point number four was inject her daily with heroin and teach her to do it and supply pics and videos of her injecting herself. That one was only 5K. And point number five was to plant drugs and use needles with her DNA in the needles throughout her home. Provide some picks of drugs and needles scattered around for another 5K. So what I just read to you was Dr. Ilg's wish list of bonuses to his hitman for all the crazy shit he wants to do to his ex-wife. And thankfully, if you haven't listened to this episode, he did not do this stuff. All right. And some of the other ones that were humorous was the dead drop for the national secrets for. Oh, shoot. I forget which episode this was. Episode 12. Was the episode 12. Episode 12 with the Navy nuclear secrets with Jonathan and Diana Tobe. So the quote in the court paperwork here that kind of summed up the humorousness of this situation was the SD card, which is the SanDisk card, which is just a memory card, was wrapped in plastic and placed between two slices of bread on a half of peanut butter sandwich. The half of sandwich was housed inside of a plastic bag. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> I thought that was really entertaining to read in a court document. All right. So I thought we should have a brief, um, I guess, uh, contest for who was the biggest tool, meaning here in our, all of our episodes, who was like the middleman or middle person was used the most and most you know, central to the committing of the crime, but got paid the least. So we have a couple options here. We have Kirk from episode four, the Twitter hack. Uh, I work at Twitter. Don't show this to anyone seriously, which demonstrated Kirk's ability to take control of valuable Twitter accounts. We have Luke Steiner from episode 11. 
that's my payroll HRs and has to be right. This is the middleman who was absolutely the fulcrum to the fraud here. So Steiner worked for one of the largest healthcare providers, that's Optum or United Health. He would send emails and make calls representing Optum and United Health, telling the kingpin Michael T. Mann's financing companies that the fake invoices were real and would be paid. And his work for a fraud consisted of sending fake paperwork for years, right? I think it was like 2013 through 2019, 2014 through 2017, across different entities. He sent information, confirmation emails with the financing companies, essentially ensuring and allowing the fraud to actually happen, totaling over $17 million in false invoices. And Steiner's work yielded Michael T. Mann tens of millions of dollars beyond that. Steiner pleaded guilty and had to pay back in restitution over $13 million. So wait for it. How much did Michael T. Mann get paid for his years of his troubles? $11,700 in Amazon gift cards. I, I mean, it kind of, it kind of, I think, is uh, the self-explanatory winner here. But, but we have some other options. Keith, what do you think about the Tobes? Yeah, we have the Tobes. So they were the couple from Annapolis that sold the or tried to sell the nuclear secrets to... Well, they were entrapped. To be country. fair to them, they were entrapped because, and this is, I think, my favorite part of it, and we didn't talk about this earlier, Keith, the nation state turned them down. Yeah. I, I don't know. If, I, I don't know what I would say entrapped, though. So basically what happened was this couple went to another country and said, I have some secrets. Will you pay me? The other country went... This isn't very good. Um, hold on a second, went over to the FBI, handed them the shit, and then the FBI stood in their place and were like, hey, we're the country now. Yeah, we'll pay you. So they basically were talking with the FBI the whole time. So this was the case where they hid the data in the peanut butter jelly sandwich in the park bench. And to me, this is one of the biggest mind-blowing things outside the LARPing was the FBI even got this country to switch their flag to look like, yes, this country was communicating with this couple because the couple said, hey, country, will you switch your flag on your embassy so that way we know we're actually talking with you? The FBI scrambled real fast, went over there and said, hey, will you switch your flag for us? And they were like, yep, and they did. And the couple were like, we're dealing with the foreign country. So from there, they, I don't, for what they sold now we talk about a lot of cases and it's just kind of like and i don't want to make it sound minimal but it's like id theft right it's you make a couple thousand here you make a couple thousand there but these people had nuclear sub secrets and at the end of the day even if they would have gotten all the money it was less than a hundred thousand dollars even if they would have gotten all the money which seemed very low for selling out your country so you're never going to be able to work again. You're going to have to move to another country somewhere else. You're probably going to have to worry about your safety because you just sold, you know, if your name becomes public and you just sold out your military, people aren't going to be happy with you. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to be selling out for less than a hundred thousand dollars. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Jonathan and Diana probably made more than a hundred thousand dollars a year individually. So it seems like a very, low payout for what they were they were giving this potential foreign country yeah 
I don't want to minimize too the other two pieces there, uh, Jones. We have evidence that he's a LARPer, and we have direct evidence. You have direct evidence that she would literally get quote fall down the stairs drunk unquote so often that at a dinner party after said collapse the husband would acknowledge it and say it happens just like Forrest Gump after he ran into a pile of dog shit so I gotta tell you I feel like that does give them some uh, tool credibility um let's talk though about Dr. Charles Frank sorry Frank Charles Alario we've mentioned him several times this was episode 14 a doctor sells out so what did he do he basically sold out his patients and he sold them out to some pharma salesman douchebags who essentially were able to do the following. They basically ran his practice, including sitting in on patient meetings. I want you guys to put yourselves, listeners, put yourself in one of his patient's shoes. You're seeing Dr. Frank. I, I, I forgot what he had a specific function where he was able to kind of, I guess, prescribe some off-label or off-use um, medications for certain ailments, right? We all have ailments. So imagine going into his office and he's like, don't worry about that guy. I'm going to tell you who that guy is. These, these are pharmaceutical salesmen, all right, who play an important role. I don't want to minimize it, but they are not doctors. They should have zero input directly with patients. In some these, cases, he said it was his cousin and stuff. Yeah, we'll get there, I mean, right? He, he, he up and up lied. So... These guys had access to restricted areas in his offices. You know, those areas with medical files. These guys had access to his offices via employee-only entrances during and after hours. These guys were introduced as relatives of the doctor, and they would essentially treat patients and fill out prescriptions for patients. The pharma douchebags and their companies made millions of dollars here. So what did the good doctor get out of it? Because the doctor, generally, you know, a guy with multiple practices, right? I think he had one in Philly and one down in Florida. He probably did all right. What did he really need? Well, let's see what he got out of it. He got free lunches and dinners. The pharma guys would come in and treat him to, and his staff, wine for him and his staff. He was, quote, driven around because apparently Dr. Lario didn't drive himself and ostensibly got some free travel uh, whenever the uh, pharma douchebags would come and go. The doctor ended up getting a light sentence. He pled out. He did a year and financial penalties. But he essentially threw away his entire career and, moreover, his dignity, Hippocratic Oath and all that. I find that to be utterly tool-esque. So our last tool that we're going to talk about here in this section is Officer Vital Frederick. And this is from Episode 17, Three Officers, Three Schemes. He's a Miami, Florida police officer, and he actually had two schemes. So I guess it was three officers, four schemes, but I didn't want to confuse you. So he had two schemes himself. He had one scheme, which is providing protection for known illicit activity. He wasn't accidentally protecting something he thought was okay. He knew that there were dirty checks involved and he was providing protection for money. How much did he provide protection? So he had three jobs. How much do you think? He provided this protection for $600 and you're probably like for some people it's like $600 depending how you look at it could be a lot or it could be a little when I look at it I think it was actually $200 it? Jones it was $200 he just did it three times yeah six, 600 across three jobs is what I was saying right yeah so there's two ways you can look at it you can look at it as 
you know, $600 is a lot of money, or you could say $600 isn't a lot of money to throw your police officer career away. And that's how I choose to look at it, which is it, it, it would take way more than even thousands of dollars to want to throw a police officer's salary away in, in my mind. And he, this guy did it for $200 a job or $600 total for this first scheme. Now his other scheme, which was the one we spent more time on was identity theft. And specifically he would take IDs from this driver's license database and sell them to who he thought was a fraudster, but it was a confidential informant for the FBI. There was a lot of weird numbers in this episode where different officers were quoted different amounts of money for different sets of IDs. And it was weird where sometimes it was a thousand dollars for 50 names, but then by the time they gave them a hundred names, it was a thousand dollars for a hundred names. And you go, why did he just make less than they agreed upon? And it was very, very confusing. Those guys, or there were there were three guys that made money and the other two guys made thousands of dollars. Officer Frederick, on the other hand, he only made $600 for selling 52 individuals, personally identifiable information to this confidential informant who then gave it to the FBI. And you go, wow, that is interesting, Keith, but let me give you a little bit of reference here. His friends were selling 50 names for at least $1,000. So Officer Frederick was basically getting ripped off by the confidential informant left and right in both schemes, in my opinion. He was getting ripped off in both schemes and didn't seem to care. And then basically was caught and lost his ability to be a police officer. I was going to say this dude threw away his career, his dignity and his oath for either $1,200 or $1,400. And I was just saying to myself, well, how badly are Miami PD paid? I saw all the bad boys movies, both Martin Lawrence and Will Smith's characters seem to be doing just fine. Um, One of them had a Porsche. Yeah, I think his character like came from money. But either way, like, I mean, if you're going to do something sketchy, get paid for it at least. Right. I mean, you know, what's your incentive? I mean, look, we don't know what if you're going to there's we got to we got to make this more into season two, which is the throwing your way your career versus what you make ratio. We got to come up with something because yeah, there's got to be a calculation or a calculus or an algorithm there. I mean, look, maybe he had a very, very sick you know, close relative and he needed any money he can get his hands on. But I know many, many police officers or people in law who work second jobs and you know, there's a lot of overtimes to be made. I mean, there's, you know, for way more than $1,200. I mean, that's, it was either he just had an extremely loose um, moral, you know, conviction or was that desperate. I don't know. Either way, he he's a, a candidate for biggest tool. I still think Steiner wins the award here, clearly. But um, I think Officer Frederick is a, is a dark horse here. All right. So Steiner, I, Steiner is at top of my list. Steiner got screwed big yes, time. And Steiner got hosed so bad. I bet you, I bet you the whole time when Steiner had an attorney, his attorney's probably reading how bad Scott Steiner got screwed compared to other people. And you just kind of look at him like, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, not only that, he's on the hook for 13 million. 
I mean, it's not just the time yeah. in his career. You know, he got a paid 11 grand and he's on the hook for 30. If you were on the, if he got, like, if he made $10 million, right? And let's just say it was not turned in and he had it in a Cayman Island account, right? And let's say he does five years, he's got to pay back 100,000 or even a million. He's like, all right, I'm not starving. Maybe it was even worth it. But to make 11 grand in Amazon gift cards, and do whatever amount of time and have a $13 million bill at the end of it. I mean, it's just, it, it wins the award. Um, so I thought it'd be worth having a quick chat about what, what of the cases was the most innovative use of technology? Uh, you know, kind of the entire scheme. I mean, the dark horse winner here is going to be, of course, the, the kingpin of Michigan because she was making do with 1980s technology. But I'm going to accept that one because, you know, uh, there's personal connections here. But... Uh, let's run through some real good ones here. Episode six, creating bank accounts at various banks. We're talking major banks, Wells Fargo, SunTrust, Publix Credit Union down in Florida, Chase Bank, Regions Bank. Um, with various PII from different people and a plan was hatched to file many fraudulent tax returns, all of nominal amounts. And it took a long time for uh, law enforcement to catch up with here, over five years. That was pretty interesting. I thought that was an interesting uh, specific example of the use of, you know, filing, file, uh, sorry, filing false tax returns. Another episode 10 was uh, using the dark web to solicit violence or hire kidnappers. I mean, I guess historically people would go to a dark alley or maybe use Craigslist. So I thought just using the dark web for that was kind of interesting. Maybe it's super common. I'm not someone that does that very often. Um, Keith, you take the next one because it might be my favorite. Use of a peanut butter sandwich to transfer nuclear sub secrets. That was interesting. But I have to say, I, I, I have to ex explain some context here. To the criminal's credit, they did want to do a dead drop online. So that way they never faced each other right? because law enforcement, they want to see you physically, right? They want to see who's doing this. And then later on, they want to take the handcuffs and put it physically on a person. So there's this constant battle of the criminals wanting to stay virtual on the internet and law enforcement going, yeah, but I need you to drop it on a park bench out in Virginia instead. And then this couple must have went to Google and said dead drop and read somewhere that you put it in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that's what they did in this case. The use of technology to try to clear credit. What's the word? Negativity off of people's credit reports where they went to police officers and said, hey, I need you to file a ID theft report for these people and they give them a list and the officers would file these reports and what that would allow these credit fixers to do is then say, oh, these people that have bad credit, it's not their fault. There was ID theft in here. Oh, you don't need to trust me. I've got a police officer's report that I can show you and it's fraudulent. And then, you know, they get their um, credit bumped up because everything looks correct and they say, oh, it must be fraudulent. My favorite part about that was the quid pro quo where sometimes instead of actually paying or bribing the Miami-Dade popo um, for fixing their, sometimes they would actually fix their credit in lieu of paying them. Win-win. 
<laughs> so that was amusing. Um, episode 15 was the fake prisoner charity, uh, indigent inmates. So this was an idea of forming corporations in the name of an inmate, of course, without their knowledge or consent, uh, as applicants to allow conspirators access to a fraudulently filed tax return. Kind of interesting, right? So think about it. John Smith is a criminal and uh, you take his name, you create John Smith Inc. John Smith Inc. had maybe some unemployment compensation or something de minimis like that. You file the income tax return and you send it back in your name. That's kind of an ingenious way to do it. Uh, and they only got busted because the perpetrators didn't use enough variety of home addresses for the returns. So at some point, the IRS and law enforcement got wind of it. Because think about it, they deal with hundreds of millions of these returns, right? So, you know, it's almost like the odds are you won't get caught. Um, I thought that was a very, very uh, ingenious use of uh, the government bureaucracy. Well, you said something important that has been in my mind since we went over these cases, which was the bottleneck of having addresses to the tax fraud refunds. You have, if you have thousands of refunds, you're going to need at least hundreds of addresses to send these things to, if not thousands of addresses. And like I said, that was a problem in that case. And that's why I followed it up with the next case, which is Anthony Boo Boo Gosha's ID theft scheme, because they did something that I, uh, I'm obviously not a criminal. I would never have thought of this. They went to postal employees and said, Hey, I'm going to pay uh, some money for you to give me some information about people across your route. Will you do that? And the employees said, sure thing. So then the criminals came back and they said, got another favor to ask of you. Postal employees said, what's that? Criminals say, I got some IRS fraudulent checks coming through the mail to people who don't even know they're getting them on your route that you gave me their name and uh, need you to pick them up before they actually get to the address and give them to me so I can cash them. Can you do that for me? And those multiple po postal employees said sure thing that blew my mind that blew yeah. my mind that that was because a lot of times and and i say it blows my mind because a lot of times where we work seth and i work we look at high-end technological crimes where you talk about exploits and deleting logs and uh, malware and just very very technical stuff this was a very low tech solution to a problem that the IRS put in the way of them getting the money. It was a very low tech solution and it was just amazing. All right. I think it's come to the time where we are going to finish up this episode by reviewing who was the biggest shit bag. So I had a hard think about this. Jones and I talked about this. We debated it a lot. So let's get into it. So, and it's, I think the winner, and we'll take a vote at the end here, uh, is not who you might think it is. So let's start with episode four, Kirk from the Twitter hack. Um, this idea that I work at Twitter, so I don't show this to anyone, seriously, demonstrated uh, Kirk's ability to take control of valuable Twitter accounts. It's a great case of being an insider. Um, but there are definitely worse players in season one. But I mean... You know, a lot of the episodes early on, we talked about how these crimes were only able to have been committed because of the insider, some of whom are tools like Steiner. But um, it also shows, you know, a glaring lack of, I guess, a moral compass or ethics 
that a person would just be so willing to do that. It's kind of a shit baggy thing. But we actually, I saw, I think, saw some some way worse people. So uh, let's kind of escalate to our maybe our, our favorite uh, perp by name, anyway. Yeah, this is the guy that we get. Well, I see all the activity on our websites, and the one that leads to our website the most is Plugwalk Joe. Plugwalk Joe did a shit ton of crime. He was involved in the. Twitter hack. He did crypto theft. He swatted a juvenile. He sexually harassed a juvenile while he's also not a juvenile. So that's an issue there. That that was the part that bothered me because the 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 messages were in the court paperwork and they were not. He he knew that she was underage and still came back for more, which is the part that bothered me. There was the extortion of high profile people like Bella Thorne, who once he got into their account, realized they had naked pictures and then extorted them for it. And probably one of the more, I don't know if elegant is the right word, but it's the one I'm going with. The elegant response to that was she posted them before he could. And she took that control back from him, which was probably the most positive part of her story because he ran her through the ringer. So another thing I want to mention is Plugwalk also pled recently, got shipped back to the U.S. from Spain, pled, and in my opinion, got a light sentence of only five years. So that may factor into my vote here, Seth, was his sentence his low sentence may actually boost him up on my list of shit bagginess. Yeah. Well, let's come back to it. So I thought this was an underrated one. Episode eight, uh, violent crime. I'm uh, sorry. I forgot the name of episode eight, but this was um, the violent crimes detective at Louisville Metro Police Department, Officer Brian Andrew Wilson. This guy had access to a law enforcement database that provides phone numbers and social media accounts for investigative purposes. This guy would target his victims using the above database to find their social media accounts. So this gave him contact info to target their social media usernames. This guy would ask others on the internet to get access to the account. So let's add conspiracy here. This guy would encourage his accomplices to target additional victims. And the accomplices would, you know, share nude photos with each other. And that's not even to get into the whole slushy gate thing, which we went into earlier. So the fact that this guy would not only do that and utilize his law enforcement um, access, but that he is a cop. He's a violent crimes detective. This should be a hero. So I thought this guy was definitely in the shitbag uh, running or biggest shitbag running, rather. Uh, I'm going to throw it out there. We're, we're, we're not including... Kingpin from episode nine. I can't insult family Jones. <laughs> I uh, don't remember if I sent you the news article, Seth, but that guy you just talked about, Brian Andrew Wilson. Yeah. Actually just got sued civilly by one of the women that he harassed. And I read part of it and it, it'll probably be an update sometime in um, season two, but I read part of it. And this, this tidbit was not in our episode and I'll share it with you. She never knew he was a police officer. 
She was harassed this whole time. It just kind of disappeared. She didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then later on found out basically that because of the news, because of the slushy gate and all the other shit that this guy was in the news for, found out that that was part of the her case. And now she's suing him civilly because of the trauma and stuff that she received. So go her. Go her. Screw him. All right. I think we're down to, well, let's talk about Dr. Ilg. You got to do it. This is your favorite. My favorite too. But not yeah, necessarily. Dr. Ilg. Dr. Ilg from episode 10. He. This is where. <laughs> this is where our episode started getting really good because he did pretty much everything. He wanted to kidnap. He wanted to drug. He didn't want to just drug his wife. He wanted to have the kidnappers teach her how to drug herself after they were done. He wanted supply pics and videos so that way he could extort her. He wanted paraphernalia planted in her house so that way it definitely looked like it was her. But he wanted her then to drop all the divorce proceedings and <laughs> and then we get to the sex escrow. And I laugh not because of her being subjected to this, but just because this guy thought that this would actually be a, a real plan. He expected his ex-wife who would be kidnapped and drugged and all this other stuff, who then must drop these divorce proceedings to then have sex with him. Not once, not twice, three times within, I think it was a two week period. And if, you know, this is a bonus to his hitman and this is the reason why we say sex escrow because his bonus was in this escrow account and Seth and I always wondered if you know maybe she theoretically only had sex with him twice would he go I want my money back <laughs> he also so that was the main issue was the ex-wife but on the side he wanted to cause violence to a co-worker that turned him in and he wanted to cause this person violence so much that they were a doctor they probably they definitely would be working for a while because it, her, her his hands will be broken if not possibly forever you know if they're a surgeon or something like that they may not be able to do uh, surgery was it Dr. Strange couldn't do surgery is that the movie I'm not all up on all the it new movies. It was definitely Doctor Strange. Yeah. Keith, you got to go with the follow-up because it was great. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about the follow-up. So I caught a Daily Beast article of all the things that Dr. Ilg had been doing since the court paperwork stopped. One of them was he had a relationship. Um, I believe it was even to the point of maybe being a fiancé of a cellmate's wife and furthermore he thought or I guess it would be his ex-wife and furthermore he thought his story was so good that his story was like 50 shades of gray on steroids which yeah, was amazing it, yeah I mean the fact that he'd have we call this in Yiddish chutzpah the balls to try to capitalize on his own 
awful shit. Let's do awful stuff. And then let's see if I can get paid to do, you know, because I did that. Um, I'm just saying, Keith, a case can be made for the Tobes for attempting to sell out our country for not a huge amount of money. So this is episode 12 again. Um, we don't need to dig in. We already went into it. But think about what they did. They twice, really, because I guess, well, once. They tried to reach out, you know, to the nation state, and then they were, you know, they were like, you know, they just turned them into the FBI, and the FBI continued on with the ploy. But, you know, these guys ostensibly both made, you know, well into six figures, and they were willing to sell out our country for not a lot of money. I mean, they looked at it, I guess, as a long-term investment, but I found that to be fairly despicable to the point where it was fairly shitbaggy. Um, episode 16, let's talk for a minute about Nicholas Sharp. And he deserves some mention, A, because he's probably the closest in terms of his professional career to kind of what you and I do, right? So he's a highly paid senior software engineer. I am not a highly paid senior software engineer, but I work with highly paid senior software we know. engineers. We know what he made. He made $250,000 a year. Right. So he made a quarter million dollars a year, puts him in the top 1% of the country. Um, he was also a cloud infrastructure security expert. So I work with people who are in that, those roles, and you got to be really, really smart and really, really clever to be able to add value to your company. And he was and he did. But he was disgruntled. We find out why later. He claims that he got a personal promise from his CEO that he'd be entitled to you know, kind of do the protection he needed. And then, of course, the business gets in the way and he was handcuffed. He was very upset. So he exploited his company's security controls and downloaded over 150 source code repositories, 150. And that was stymied. He actually tried to do more. His VPN cut out. He then ransoms his own company. And then he published those repositories after not receiving the ransom. So he actually pulled it out. He did it. And he ended up costing his company over $4 billion with a B in lost value. And my immediate response was, think of all the employees, right, who had stock and 401k funds invested in the company who got shafted here. And he claims he was misguided, temporarily, by the way, when he thought uh, running a, quote, unsanctioned drill to show his CEO what kind of security defenses were truly needed. And all the above about feeling bad or trying to make a point flies in the face of the facts. The fact that he used a VPN, the fact that he lied about using the VPN, the fact that he actually made a false media whistleblower assertion to Krebs, uh, the fact that there was a ransom and that he actually published the stolen data flies in the face of any of that, you know, um, temporary or that he was misguided. He's a shitbag. And something that Seth didn't say that we did talk about earlier. For a while, Ubiquity did not know he was involved, so he was next to all his buddies investigating himself without them knowing it was him, which makes it even more shitbaggy. Yeah, for sure. So our last episode, episode 19, we had Jason Lydell and Sarah Sorg, who cyber-stalked Jason Lydell's ex-wife. And it's tough. I mean, I think about this a lot. Uh, to me, Lydell and Ilg are on the same playing field with each other. And depending on how you measure their evilness, one kind of edges out over another. Um, Jason wasn't as violent sounding. Like he fucked with his ex-wife hard. He got her arrested. He got her... Um, like job interviews 
went away because of stuff that he did. So he screwed with her employment. But he didn't physically hurt her that we know of. He didn't try to get a hitman to beat her up or anything like that, like the hit the dude did. So, you know, you would say that, you know, Jason's side of the house, maybe not as violent, but it was actual. She actually went to to jail. Dr. Ilg, on the other hand, very violent, but it didn't actually go through. So, yeah. Yeah, the, I know actually what, what, what I found interesting was interesting, Jones, is for Lydell, he had, I mean, almost impressively so, had zero respect for any kind of authority. Police officer, going to go after that guy. Judge, you're next. I mean, it's really kind of crazy, um, which makes him really at a sociopathic level. Um, but yeah, oh, his laundry list anyway. was huge. I mean, it, it, it's his laundry list was huge. It started back in his academic days where he was doing something dishonest and then they caught him and then he did something dishonest in that meeting. And then he goes, Oh, I'm just going to leave the university. No worries. And then he went to another university, did some dishonest shit again, has some issue. And then, you know, had issues with his ex-wife and then once issues with his ex-wife went into the legal realm and police officers were involved he starts having issues with the police officers and then he starts having issues with judges and it's just it's an amazing shitstorm of just just schemes and craziness so jones i actually tried to do a recap of the duo and when i say you know most of it was jason lydell but we learned that sarah sorg his girlfriend was equally awful um I try to create a quick list of all the crazy shit that they did. And I'm pretty sure I missed a few, but let's recap. It is the recap episode. He created a fake affair between a person his ex-wife knew and his ex-wife using his ex-wife's email account. He got her credentials cleverly from shared utility accounts. That was him. He contacted his ex-wife potential employer, a school claiming that she is inappropriate to hire given her sexual exploits, directly resulting in her ex-wife not getting the job. He specifically mentioned that she had an affair, got pregnant, aborted the child, abused drugs, and neglected her children. Uh, he created and spoofed or falsified emails regarding the affair, including things like drug use and overdoses and suicidal tendencies. And by the way, there were some truly awful and horrific racist and incendiary comments in that spoofed item. Uh, and as an aside, he also did uh, spoof or manipulate, I'm not sure if I got this later, her, um, her, her very confidential, possibly classified med military medical records to supplement his claims that she was a drug abuser and things like that. Um, he harassed his ex-wife's new husband. And get this, he's not just some schmo, he's a high-ranking retired Marine. And he claimed that is that uh that he was having an affair to another colonel that was working with the ex-husband, sorry, the new husband rather, uh, via a spoofed email. He's kind of like a sociopath with the spoofed email scenario. He made false statements to the child protective services, CPS regarding his ex-wife, which we said earlier is equal or maybe worse to swatting, which means that has to be investigated, right? Once children get involved and the safety or well-being of children, CPS has to take a look whether it's bullshit or not, which is really, really a scary thing. I'm going to pause because I got to catch my breath because there's so much here. So Jones, why don't you jump on these next few? So he spoofed emails 
purportedly from the ex-wife and submitted it to the court. So there's fraud on the court there for the custody purposes of his two minor children. Um, it worked. There were <laughs> these schemes that we're telling you about, they're not, they worked. She was thrown in jail. She lost custody of the kids because he did things like this. He then, and oh God, this one, he forged his ex-wife's military medical record, which means he had to physically go in there, get the medical record, scan it, send it to his personal email address, and then add information to it. Like she's suicidal and on drugs and all this other shit that you wouldn't want to see a mother have on her medical record to help him out at his custody hearing, right? He falsified. So it's not spoofed because it's paper record, but he falsified a paper extortion letter and mailed it to his new girlfriend, who's Sarah Sorg, who's now in on the scheme to harass the ex-wife. So this is all false. Let's, let's pretend they send this extortion letter to Sarah Sorg, pretending it came from the ex-wife. And this got the ex-wife arrested. And you would go, God, that must have been an awful night in jail. No, motherfucker. She was there for four days. Four days because of this. So it was like they falsify this thing. She gets thrown in jail. She's in there four days. There's a protective order that is granted because she's not in court to defend herself because she's in fucking jail because of this false extortion letter. It's just mind-blowing. This extortion letter, Sarah Sorg, his lawyer, new girlfriend, used it. She pushed it with uh, the Maryland police. She also pushed it with the Virginia uh, police. She, or I'm sorry, switch gears on you a little bit here. Lydell, you would say, my God, this guy is just a tornado of just being an asshole. But he went to his friend's house and started spoofing emails from his friend's house. So think about this. His friend's IP address is going to show up as the source to this stuff. But he starts spoofing emails to police officers that he has issues with in his his cases. But it makes it look like it came from his friend's house. So his poor friend gets dragged into this investigation. So right there, there's another asshole mark against uh, Lydell. Then in these spoofed emails, it's police officers purportedly talking to other police officers and saying incredibly racist stuff and about how they they hid evidence in cases and just all sorts of shit that you would. It, it, I don't even know how to categorize it, Seth. You, you wouldn't even hear it on movies. It's like, yeah, good thing we I I faked all that evidence that says that your your ex-husband did all this shit like in emails in these spoofed emails. It's just you read this and you go, there's no way a real person wrote this. It has to be spoofed. And it was it was spoofed by Jason Lydell. There was also destruction of evidence. Oh, I should mention, there was also per impersonation of not just police officers, but there were also judges and state's attorneys involved. It went all the way up the chain to the highest levels of government to 
I believe there was a council member even CC'd on one of them. But destruction of evidence. So Jason and Sarah Sorg both destroyed evidence. Her a little less than him. He really destroyed evidence. He had a laptop that he turned back into one of the government or military organizations that he got it from. And it wasn't just altered. It was a brand new operating system on this laptop that was completely different, unauthorized. And you go, wow, how did he get away with that? That's crazy. Well, investigators opened the laptop lid and guess whose name was in the login? His fucking ex-wife on his supposed work laptop, which should never happen. Never happen. Because you look at that from an investigator and you go, well, his ex-wife didn't have physical access to it. So that kind of shows Jason was setting her up. You want to finish this off for us? Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to take in all of it. Um, the last few uh, harassment, right? He spoofed, naturally, um, to the PTA. The PTA about a domestic violence case against his ex-wife. He hacked and spoofed messages through the court-mandated messaging account. I mean, that's crazy because that's really more about his children. Um, so I ask you, Dr. Jones, who wins season one's most coveted prize? Is it a tie? Is it Dr. Ilg? Is it Dr. Is it Dr. Is it uh, Jason Lydell? Is there a Dark Horse candidate? What do you think? I have my I think I have a clear winner in my head, but I'm curious if it's the same person. For me, it depends on how you measure it. And I've thought about this a lot. There's, it's a tie. Generally, it's a tie in my mind between Dr. Ilg and Jason Lydell. Sarah Sorg wasn't as guilty as, it wasn't as involved in the schemes as Lydell. So I kind of put her to the side. So I leave it between Ilg and Lydell. Now, if you talk about heinous physical violence Dr. Ilg's gonna run it because or Dr. Ilg's gonna win that one because Lydell kinda didn't really get into beating his ex-wife or anything like that or drugging her or kidnapping her or anything else that we saw with Dr. Ilg so when I measure it with that I go oh Dr. Ilg he definitely wins but then I go for who actually got away with it and just never seemed to stop Lydell just kept going and going. And it was like, he would just harass his ex-wife and you go, oh, leave the poor woman alone. Oh, thank God the police are involved. Oh my God, he's harassing the police now too. Oh, thank God there's a judge involved. Oh my God, he's harassing a judge now too. Oh, thank God. You know, it's just every person that crossed this guy, he would harass them. And it wasn't physical, but it was enough that just gave him the asshole standing. So... For me, it depends on how, how you measure it. So, Jason Lydell got away with a lot of shit. He got away with a lot of shit so, that was just very, very heinous. I look at it as what was the actual impact of the victim? So for Dr. Ilg, his wife didn't really have anything bad happen to her other than having to be married to him, but from his shenanigans, because none of it actually was realized. So I think his propensity for evil was certainly there, but it wasn't actually carried out. Lydell's ex-wife bore the brunt of this and it did happen to her. She was extorted. Um, that's not really accurate. She wasn't extorted. She lost custody of her children temporarily. She was jailed for four days. She lost a job over it. 
Um, I'm sure she incurred a ton of, you know, the, the alleged affair and social media and her ex, her new husband and his job was in jeopardy or whatever he was doing. I mean, it all, he, you know, Lydell was relentless, almost impressively so. So given, if you're looking at it from, which I think is the right way to look at it, what was the impact to the victim? It's got to be Lydell. I mean, and, you know, I'm going to throw Sarah Sorg in there because she either knew it was happening or let it happen or was contributing to it happening. So uh, I think it's Lydell. And the more I think about it, the more I'm confident in that answer. Yeah. And they both men would not stop. It was like you threw somebody as a roadblock, like the police officers in Lydell's way. He starts spoofing them. And Ilg, it was like he didn't stop. You know, it was, um, if I remember correctly, Seth, and stop me if I'm wrong, on the follow up that we did on Ilg, he was still pushing, trying to get people, trying to get the women in his life to say and do things on the internet to make it look like his ex wife was still up to shit, even though he's still in prison. So both of these people that we talk about, they just never stopped. They never went, oh, I'm in jail now. I, I really better quit this out and just serve my time and get the hell out of here because Ilg apparently is still doing stuff. Yeah. So there you have it. That is our uh, biggest shit bag. Uh, and our, our season one recap, which uh, was a long episode. We might want to split this one in two. Um, but I do want to make sure I thank Dr. Jones for including me in his shenanigans here. And I certainly learned a lot. And more importantly, I had a lot of fun. And I hope that our viewers and listeners um, you know, enjoyed it. We are excited for season two. And um, just thank you for being on the ride with us. Definitely. And just because we're finishing the season one, don't think we're going to have a big pause in here and you're going to have to come back in months. We've got, I just looked today and I've got at least four or five cases already on deck for season two, and we're just going to get right into them. There's not going to be a pause and they're going to be as crazy as this. And again, please tell us what you like and what you don't like. And we'll try to pick cases that are more interesting. I try to pick something. I, I try to put something humorous in every one of them. I try to find a case that has some humorous aspect to them. That's really the only commonality other than the electronic crime portion. And with that, to get a hold of us, you want to go to our website. It's E C R I M E B Y is in yellow milk. T E S.com. So it's E crime bites spell the computer way.com. And if you're on your phone, there's a three lines up there in the corner. Click on that. You're going to have all our social media drop downs. If you're on a desktop, it should already be across the top and you can select from there and interact with us. Go check out our videos. If, if you only listen to this on audio, go check out our videos and stuff because we put pictures of people up in the court documents and things like that. And I think that's it. That's all I have to say for season one. I only have one thing left, Seth, and I'm going to take us out with fucking light it because that's one of my favorite clips. You have anything else to say, Seth? No, I think we said it all. Let's finish it with that. All right. We'll leave you with Pat the Bat, and we'll see you in season two. You can light it, light it, fucking light it. Pick it up. Oh, pick it up. All right. See you guys later.